I'm Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Briefing. It's the latest news headlines to your headphones this Thursday, 15 October. And today on The Briefing, Jan Fran and I take a deep dive on the death of the mall. Can it survive COVID-19? Yeah, that is the big question. I used to love going to the mall when I was in high school. It feels like a very cool thing in the 90s. And I don't know if it'll just end up a relic of the past. There are just better ways to shop now. So I think for a shopping centre to survive now, it's going to have to really morph and offer much more of an experience. But before that, the big news stories of the day. A COVID scare for Queensland and the ACT, the Sunshine State and our Capital Territory, are both rushing to trace contacts of a COVID-positive Townsville woman who travelled to Melbourne via Canberra. Authorities believe she caught the virus in Victoria, but since she's been in Townsville, Cairns, Brisbane and Canberra, Queensland Health Minister Stephen Miles isn't taking any chances. The way we've been so successful has been by being ultra, ultra cautious. And that's why to be ultra cautious, we are treating this as though she could have been infectious when she was in Townsville, Cairns and in Brisbane. Another state not looking to take any chances is New South Wales. Plans to ease restrictions on restaurant bookings have been delayed after 13 new cases. 11 of them, though, were community transmission in Sydney's southwest yesterday. Um, that's the concerning bit. Here's the state's health minister, Brad Hazard. The government is very keen to free up and make the community go even further back to the pre-COVID normality. But we can't do that. We just cannot do that. I, as health minister, can't recommend that. Dr Chant can't recommend that until we get a hold of this particular latest number of people. And while New South Wales is putting on the brakes, Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt is urging Victoria's Premier to accelerate towards extra freedoms. Victoria's amended plan out of lockdown is set to be announced this coming Sunday. Hunt says the federal government expects states to reopen 10 cases and not the five that Dan Andrews has been aiming for. Victoria recorded just seven new cases yesterday. Today, Victoria's numbers were below New South Wales with regards to community transmission. I think the figures I have before me were um, 11 cases within the community in New South Wales, uh, seven in Victoria. And so they have passed the national threshold. Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt there. And look, it has been another big day for the New South Wales Premier. That's the other big story. She survived a no-confidence vote yesterday, only just, though the motion was defeated by just one vote in the state's Senate. So it's not looking good for Gladys, and particularly because the man that she was, as she says, in a close personal relationship with, that's former MP Daryl Maguire, he fronted an ICAC inquiry yesterday, that's the Independent Commission Against Corruption, and he admitted to being part of a cash-for-visa scheme. He's going to front the inquiry again today, so we'll wait and see what happens there. But the Premier's patience seems to be wearing thin. Excuse me, let me finish. Let me finish. Okay? I have stressed over and over again, I had no knowledge of any wrongdoing. My tolerance for answering questions which frankly are offensive is waning. There are reports this morning that a reimagined Virgin Airlines could involve gutting all the current planes and turning the brand into a budget carrier. The ABC and The Australian are both reporting speculation that the embattled airline's new owner, Bain Capital, will replace its current CEO with the former boss of Jetstar and move to a low-cost model. 
Uh, so Bain had previously promised not to ditch the airline's fancy lounges for business class travellers. This week, business class travellers who forked out up to $2,500 for their tickets slammed the airline online when they were given two-minute noodles and granola bars as their complimentary snacks. Oh, look, I've enjoyed two-minute noodles every now and again. I suppose I'd enjoy them less if I paid $2,500 for an airline ticket. That's, oh, yeah. That's eye-watering stuff. Uh, the Transport Workers Union Secretary, Michael Kane says it's suspended talks with the airline's new owner. We just want clarity. Uh, uh, are Bain, the new private equity owners of Virgin, going to act like private equity has a reputation for acting, and that is slash and burn the companies that they buy? Or are they going to act responsibly? I mean, in some ways, it's, you know, it, it's not surprising. Airlines have really had to, I know we don't use the word pivot because it's so over used during the pandemic. But, you know, they really have had to pivot and this seems to be just one of the um, the ways that Virgin is doing that. So we'll see what comes of it. It's interesting, though. There's also been reports from a Virgin Australia source that apparently cabin crew managers aren't particularly into these premium passengers who are frustrated and lots of them have been calling in sick. A Senate committee inquiry into the Indigenous flag says that the federal government should not compulsorily acquire the Aboriginal flag. Right now, the flag's owner and creator, Indigenous artist Harold Thomas, owns the copyright of the flag. He has a deal with a non-Aboriginal company, Wham Clothing. This means that people, including Indigenous groups, have to pay to reprint the flag. Yeah, here's Professor Isabella Alexander, who we spoke to a few weeks ago. She's explaining what copyright means. If you were to make a copy of the flag yourself, even if you're just copying it on a piece of paper, that would be a copyright infringement because you're making the copy and you don't have permission. So that even includes people probably getting the flag tattooed on their body. Yeah, now no one is going to pursue you through the courts if you get an Aboriginal flag tattoo hopefully. Um, But look, someone might if you decide to reprint it on an item of clothing. And that's what um, some Aboriginal groups have found. They've been given cease and desist notices by Wham Clothing. We also spoke to a woman called Laura Thompson um, a few weeks ago. She is an Indigenous woman who's calling on the Australian government to essentially take ownership of the flag. So it sort of becomes like the Australian flag. It's not owned by a single person. And that means it's accessible to anyone. If you ask any Australian, let alone any Aboriginal person who the flag belongs to, they would all say, that flag belongs to me, that's my flag. So in many ways, it was the people that gave the flag value, not Harold. So a Senate committee, that's a committee created to let organisations and people weigh in on issues the parliament is currently considering, says the government shouldn't use its constitutional power to acquire the copyright from Harold Thomas. It says that taking the design from an Indigenous man could create a dangerous precedent. Up next, the death of the mall. Can it survive COVID-19? going to get that song stuck in your head. I promise we are talking about the mall today. And look, I have to say, I remember the mall or shopping centres as we called them. Uh, They were a massive thing when I was in high school. You know, my mates and I would head there after school and drink cans of Diet Coke and perv on boys. We also watched movies there on the weekend and just generally loitered around the food court. Jam? Forget the food court, Jan. At 15, we went through this phase of hanging out in the couches department of Grace Brothers. Oh my God. Um, 
we were cool. It was more comfortable than the plastic seats outside McDonald's and perfect for a sneaky pash before the manager yelled at you to get out. <laughs> oh, young love. But, you know, these memories are a thing of the past for me and so too might be the shopping mall. According to Credit Suisse, one in four malls in the US will close by 2022. That is just around the corner. More than a third of all shopping is expected to be online by 2030. And the big retail chains here in Australia are really struggling. Bad news for Big W customers. 30 of their stores will shut down across the country. Target is not a profitable business. It's been bleeding money for years. Maya, the latest casualty. Kmart will temporarily close some of its stores. David Jones is tonight facing an uncertain future. So in today's briefing, we ask, is the mall dead? And is COVID-19 the final nail in its coffin? Get in, loser. We're going shopping. Yes, mean girls. The mall's gone from the height of the social scene, as we just heard there, to Struggle Street in only a couple of decades. Yeah, and there are concerns Australia could go the same way as the US, home of the dead mall. Vast, empty, abandoned spaces that are providing a home to local rats and gathering dust. Literally, that is exactly what they're doing. Let's find out now what working at a mall here in Australia has been like, especially during COVID. Uh, Mara manages a premium jewellery store in a shopping centre in regional New South Wales. And over the past six months, she's observed something interesting. Obviously, with the closure of COVID, online was literally at your fingertips. So people are now using online to come in in a more direct way. Um, in my store in particular, we're finding people even coming in with screenshots and pictures that they've already researched or they already know pretty much what they want. It's just that they've got to, like, obviously match the online with how it actually looks in store. It's crazy to say, but the traffic is still there to warrant being open. So I feel like it will be still around, but maybe not in the sense of we might not be able to like process sales or anything like that. Like I feel like maybe it's just going to be all online and we're like a warehouse kind of thing, if that makes sense. That was Mara there talking about something that she'd observed during COVID. Emma has a slightly different experience. She is a retail worker in Newcastle. It really did die off quite a lot after the new year, which is quite common. I think I remember hearing that retail across the board, Australia-wide, was down I think it was 13% from the year prior. The foot traffic was lower. Um, we we actually, with COVID, went into voluntary administration. We were one of the first companies to, I guess, put our hand up and do that. And I think it really helped that we did it earlier. Um, I think we'd opened too many stores, spread ourselves too thin, and we really didn't need to do that. The brand really is working on getting back to where we were before that. Um, we're out of administration. We did close 19 stores permanently out of 29, but the 10 remaining are doing just fine and here to stay. So I think we just realised where we went, I guess, perhaps wrong and what wasn't profitable. Do you think <laughs> that shopping malls will survive COVID? Do you think actual shopping centres are going to be a thing of the past or will they move into the future? I think they still will be a thing of the future because I know for myself just the... I guess if you get free parking for an, a certain amount of time, it's temperature controls. It's just so convenient and you've got everything under the one roof. Whereas 
rules are cool in the city, but you know, if you, you've got to pay for half an hour of parking. It's if it's raining, if it's freezing, you feel that. Um, so I think customers will still come to shopping centres and um, and malls. I'm in a Westfield myself and they have already started putting plans in place, asking us what our COVID safe plan is for Christmas. How are you going to cope with the queuing? So they are doing what they can to keep customers safe and feeling invited to come back into the centre and they have all throughout COVID as well. So I think we're going to be okay. The company that owns Westfield no longer uses the term mall because of the negative connotations we all have with it. An internal memo has renamed Westfield's mammoth shopping complexes to living centres instead. Yeah, the struggle to reinvent malls or shopping centres it's, it has them getting just that little bit more extra. Some now advertise swimming pools or water slides or underground aquariums. Um, apparently there are roller coasters and casinos and hotels right inside malls around the world. Why? So you never, ever, ever have to leave, Jan. Gemma Acton is an economist for Seven News and she's been watching retail trends around malls really closely. Can malls survive COVID-19? Oh, look, I think they've got a, a pretty big task ahead of them. I mean, they've obviously not been doing well for quite a while. It's a very outdated uh, form of shopping and there are just better ways to shop now. So I think for a shopping centre to survive now, it's going to have to really morph and offer much more of an experience. I was in China about a year and a half ago uh, in Shanghai. They were doing some really interesting things with shopping centres. You actually want to go and spend an entire day there. You can go, you can drop your kids off in the morning, pick them up several hours later and in between go and um, sort of have a whole makeover, try all sorts of cool tech gadgets. There'll be various shows on. So it's much more of a, a day out than actually just trying to get people to shop there. So are we seeing that kind of innovation in any Australian shopping centres? What are they doing to lure people back through their doors? Do you know, there's a lot of chat about it. Whenever you speak to not just um, malls, but also to department stores, for instance, they'll say, yes, yes, it's all about the experience. Come in, you'll be wowed. But the reality is it's just not like that. If you go into a Meyer, a David Jones, a Westfield, and it's primarily still all about shopping. And um, So I think what they really need to do is incentivise people to come in. What we're going to see, I expect, is more and more people have a growing comfort with shopping online. Uh, it's very easy, practical. Things get delivered right to your door. It's easier to browse online often than to rifle through racks and racks in shops, or if, especially if it's an enormous shop, you don't know which floor to go to. And so what we're going to need to see is these physical shops, these bricks and mortar shops, be more of a flagship, a marketing display, a way to show what the brand stands for, what the culture behind it is, a way to lure people to go to their website and have a look. And we're still not seeing that. You know, we're seeing shops look pretty much as they have done for the last couple of decades. So people like to talk about, oh, this is an experience, but it's really not the case yet. Mm. Let's talk about retail sales because they're actually higher in July this year than what they were in July last year. Um, and that's, you know, that's good news in general for the economy. But but not necessarily the mall. Yeah, and we've got to put this in some context. July was a huge month for government stimulus. So a lot of people had cash coming in that they didn't have before. We had the $750 one-off payments. JobKeeper was ongoing. Job Seeker was ongoing. Uh, people could access their super for the second time, so um, could get up to a $10,000 hit that way. Uh, so certainly there's a lot of cash coming in. If you look at um, household income, 
between the April and June period, that was up by 2.2%, despite everything that was happening in the economy, despite so many people losing their jobs, losing their income. So people had a lot of cash to hand. As I don't think July is very representative of what we're necessarily going to see on an ongoing basis, particularly as JobKeeper and JobSeeker continue to be wound back. And in some ways, it's not very helpful to retail stores. If they get a free pass like that, uh, it doesn't force them to innovate and update and upgrade and and become something different. In many ways, they sort of do need the what's coming next, which is that they call the sort of December period the killing season in retail, because if you don't make your pretty lofty Christmas sales targets, then by January and February, you're probably in pretty bad shape. Like that's when you expect to make the, the biggest sales all year for almost every single retail brand. And um, so this will be a much more brutal period of reality coming up to check just how well retailers are doing. Gemma, does that mean if Victoria doesn't manage to open up before Christmas and we're all very focused on, you know, getting home to see family and things like that, but if it's, if Victoria doesn't open up to the rest of the country before Christmas, is it also going to hurt retailers in the state? Yes, certainly, because it's, it's, it's good to have as many options and channels to sell through as possible. Like if you do own physical stores still, as well as online, you want to have people able to buy from whichever channel possible. So yes, certainly having um, doors closed is not going to be helpful. It's also not good for confidence. People spend when they're feeling confident and they're feeling good about life and good about the economy. Gemma, do you think Australia is at risk of going down the American path and just ending up with a string of what's known as dead malls, these abandoned shopping centres? Yeah, look, I, I think we need to worry about our CBDs, to be honest, because um, a lot of these are in city centres and central business districts. Um, and they're having their own battles with so many people not going to the office anymore. And even when people do return to the office, I think the general consensus is that offices will need less space. So there'll be less people in the office. I, I don't, I'm personally not lucky enough to ever work from home. I'm always in, in the office. But um, but I think a lot of people are saying, look, even when we do go back to normal, we'll only be in three or four days a week. So we'll just have a lot less footfall in cities, um, less revenue coming in, less spending, less atmosphere, less reasons to go there. So I think not just worrying about dead malls, but worrying about how do we reinvigorate these spaces. These are generally prime pieces of real estate. Like think about how how many fabulous buildings yeah, and yep. um, the beautiful like um, seas and rivers around these city centres. Usually they've got gardens nearby. This We just have to rethink it. You know, Maybe it doesn't have to be all office space. Maybe there's a chance to put in some more apartments and housing and pedestrianised areas. People can you know, sit on footpaths and eat much more European style. There's a chance to bring this all back. I don't think we have to worry about these fabulous malls and spaces dying forever, but is there an evolution in the, in the works? I would 100% think so. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been an illuminating chat. My pleasure. Anytime. Despite being locked away from each other for much of the year, we humans are social creatures after all. We're always looking for places to congregate, to eat, to shop, to be entertained and, of course, to spend time together. Yeah, I think the challenge for malls is really to sort of move with our changing tastes for when and how and and why we want to do things. So maybe the mall isn't dead. Maybe it's just having a bit of a sleep and, and needs a resurgence of some kind. A podcast one production.